So last week, how many of you guys are ready to get in the Word this morning? I asked them to give me plenty of time. So I, I currently have like a full like, like half hour to talk to you because today we, we had baby dedication, but also we're going to talk about something else. Last week we talked about, about forgiveness. Oh, there it is. Um, we talked about forgive. The word forgive means to let go, to no longer hold against, to leave behind and depart from. And I tell you what, of all the things that we talk about, there was a silence in this room last week that was deafening. How many of you guys were here last week? People walked out kind of like, oh, crap. That, that, was, that was hard. He just told me that if I don't forgive, like, I'm going to be tortured by God. <laughs> like, well, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Deal with it. So it, there, are, there are realities that unforgiveness destroys our body, destroys our soul, and literally disconnects us from a loving God whose agenda is to redeem the world, not to choose which ones they don't, that don't deserve his love. I'm so glad God didn't choose anyone not to deserve his love. For God so loved the world. Like, like we, are, we are countering what God is doing with unforgiveness. And God says, you can't be on my team and work against me. A house divided against itself. Lincoln didn't say that. Jesus did. A house divided against itself cannot stand. So we, last week we talked about forgiveness. And it was hard. But this week we're going to talk about something else that, that is probably a little bit harder. And that's forgiving ourselves. Why would this be harder? Well, because it's tricky. If last week you chose to forgive others, you had complete control of your choice. You could choose to release it. You could choose to let it go. You could choose to divorce it. You could choose to, re- to depart from it. But when it's dealing with us, like how do I, do I have the power, I have the authority to forgive you, but what right do I have to forgive me when I've sinned against you or sinned against God? Like what, what, what do I do? How do I know? How long do I have to be on super secret double probation and live in the barn as a prodigal son before I can come back into the house? Am I ever allowed in the house? Have I disqualified myself by my actions? Not everybody that sins is forgiven and completely restored. They're, they're forgiven. And Moses wasn't completely restored. He didn't get to go on the promised land. David wasn't completely restored. He didn't get to build the temple. Like Sometimes we go too far. How do I know if I've gone too far? How do I know if I can forgive myself? And how do I know that I know <laughs> that I have? How do we know when it's done? How, how, when, when are we allowed to move forward from this? It, and, and honestly, there's this, this false godliness that would want to keep us in pain from our actions because that little bit of guilt becomes in some way kind of the sick humility, and it, I feel closer to God when I'm in pain than when I'm in, in grace. You guys understand what I'm saying? Like there are pulpits today all over America where the, the agenda of those that are sharing the word of God, I'm not denouncing this, I'm just saying I don't understand this, is to make you feel so bad about your sin <laughs> that you have enough pain maybe to live good until Wednesday night where I get to inflict pain again. Brimstone, fire, sulfur. So that you can maybe feel bad enough to live good until Sunday. How many guys know what I'm talking about? And you can manipulate people into behavior. But how many of you know Jesus didn't come to manipulate people into behavior? He came to set people free. And there's a difference. And so uh, one of the people Jesus wants you to set free is you. How do we know? How do we do this? It almost feels godly to hold my sins against me. Like if, if my sin's ever before me, I won't do it again. I'm too much pain. I'm too much fear. Too much whatever that is. I, we're going to go through this. I want you to know this, guys. <clears throat> the life God has for you is centered on walking in agreement with Jesus, according to his teachings, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you agree with that? So if that's true, then sin or Satan's chief goal is to move you away from Jesus, away from his teachings, and away from his spirit. The number one weapon that Satan uses to separate you from the you Jesus wants you to be is you. 
It's, it's condemnation. What's condemnation? It, it's a self-judgment. I judge myself not to be worthy of the love that God says he has for me. I judge myself not to be worthy of the life, of, of the power, of the authority, of the meaning. I disqualified myself by what I did. And when Satan has you amending his sermon, ignoring God's sermon, how many of you guys know it's checkmate? So today we got to get out of that. I want you to consider this, and I want you to ask yourself, this is kind of a, a self-examination. Am I self-condemning? Am I self-judging? If you are, then self-condemned people expect little from God because they believe they're less worthy, less loved, and maybe even a little outside God's grace. Ask yourself, do I, do I expect less from God? Because, I mean, holy people, their prayers should be answered, but my prayers, I, I get it if God doesn't answer mine because I'm not a holy person. I, you know, good people, generous people, kind people, pure people, man, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, but my righteousness is like filthy rags in front of me. So when I pray, it's okay if God doesn't answer me. I don't expect much because I just hope I'm good enough to go to heaven. Second thing, self-condemned people hide from God and others behind their man-made fig leaves, hoping no one finds out what they've done or who they are. If you walk around not being transparent about who you are and what you've done, where you've been, what you've been through, what you're going through now, the struggles of your heart, if you hide behind the I'm good, I'm fine, but fine stands for freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional, thank you, Italian job, right? Then, then you understand, like, like that's, Jim, I get that, I People don't really know me because I would never tell people what I'm really going through. Self-condemned people look to the future and expect judgment from God and man and often find judgment where none exists. I got the flu. Well, that's what happens to sinners, I guess. The doctor said A. The lawyer said B. The, the counselor said Z. And I deserve it all. I mean, I, I deserve what I get. I, I'm, I made my bed. Now I have to lay in it. We don't expect the mercy of God. We expect the judgment of God if we live in self-condemnation. People, and I'll just say this, guys. Another example of this would be if you condemn others for, their, for the same sins you commit, it's because you see God as a condemning God, and so you're being godly when you condemn other people. Ow. But, right? Okay? So let's, what we're going to do today is we're going to look through Scripture. It's not going to be my psychological examination. It's not going to be, it's not my testimony or yours. I'm going to look at people. We're going to look at people today that have been through this process, that did some pretty horrible things, biblically despicable things, in front of God, in front of everybody else, and somebody wrote it down so we can enjoy it all these years later. Let's talk about some of these guys. Saul of Tarsus. You might know him as the Apostle Paul, but before he was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee, a separated one, a, a sect of Judaism that was just dedicated to making sure we're Jews, we're Jews, we're Jews, we're Jews. The law, the law, the law. No, no government, no politics, the law, the law. And, and you sinned and you're on the outside, you can't be a Pharisee. I judge you. No, I'm sure. Don't cry. And we're going to, this is the deal. And, right? And so he's one of these. Well, he's not just one of these. He's, he's one of these young zealot Pharisees that's looking for sin. Well, he finds it. As people begin to abandon Judaism and fall into this grace of God through Jesus Christ, he sees it as a threat to Judaism, as a pollution, as a heresy, and he goes after them. Now, this is what the Bible says. It says he put both men and women in prison. He separated families and made orphans out of their children. He presided over the stoning of Stephen. He was there. They laid the cloaks at his, I'll, I'll watch your coats. In other words, he was presiding. Uh, I'm, I'm in charge. Lay your cloaks here and go stone them. He didn't throw a rock, but he was in charge of all the rock throwers. Stephen, this godly man, this early 
believer is forgiving them as, as rocks are coming at his head, as they're throwing them as hard as they can. The judgment of God is coming at you. It wasn't the judgment of God. It was the judgment of man. And Saul of Tarsus presided over that execution. Now, this is something interesting. As he's on his way to Damascus, and he runs into Jesus, he hears, there's a vision. He hears a voice. He goes, who, who is this? Who, Lord, who am I talking to? He goes, this is Jesus whom you're persecuting. How many of you know there's bad days? And then there's bad days. He's blind. He doesn't eat or drink for three days. He goes to this house on Straight Street. God sends a prophet to him. The guy hears the audible voice of God. He's forgiven. The scales fall off his eyes. He eats something. He's baptized. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's transformed. How many of you guys think that's a pretty good day? But now, now this one has to happen. So the guy that killed Aunt Martha, the guy that took your parents from you, put them in prison where one of them or both of them died, you're Stephen's brother. You watched from the weeds as your brother was stoned to death and there wasn't anything you could do about it. You'd never forget it. You can still hear the sound of the rocks hitting his skull and the laughter of the mob around him. The guy who presided over that now comes walking into the room. How do you feel? More than that, how does he feel? How does he ever look these people in the eye again? Are you guys still here? We're talking about, you know, I, how do I forgive myself? Man, I had one too many beers. Man, I, I destroyed this. Man, I hurt that relationship. Man, I, I, and I'm not belittling any of the things we've done to harm other people or ourselves. I am simply saying this. There are people in Scripture that, that somehow pressed through the seasons where they did the dumbest, most horrible, criminal, against God men things. And this is what he says many years later in the book of Philippians. He goes, I, I press on. Everybody say press. He didn't saunter. You're not going to saunter to where we're going to today. You're going to press. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He didn't take a hold of me so I could walk in guilt and shame. There's other reasons. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Somebody say it with me. Come on. One thing I do is what? Forgetting what's behind and straining, pressing, straining towards what's ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. I want you to see what he said, forgetting what's behind and, everybody say and, straining towards what's ahead. Let me say something to you. Please be very careful as we do this. You cannot strain towards what's ahead and you cannot forget what's behind. You must forget what's behind and strain towards what's ahead. If you press forward without, without dealing with what's behind you, it'll follow you everywhere you go. If you don't forget what's behind, you can't go forward. And, and, if you do, and if you can't go forward, you, you can't forget what's behind. You will live in the worst thing you've ever done for the rest of your miserable life. Or you'll forget what's behind and move forward. Press forward, strain forward. And again, I want you to know something. This, there's press, strain, take hold of, this one thing I do. This is not passive language. This is not time heals all wounds. This is a disciplined mind saying... What is behind me is under the blood of Jesus, and what is in front of me is anointed by the Holy Spirit, and I have to make a decision again today, again after lunch, again after dinner, again as I lay down at night, again when I wake up in the morning, until, until forward is where you are, and behind you is well behind you, you're going to have to expend effort, 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 effort. If you define yourself by the worst thing you ever did, and you can't get past it, and you can't move forward, you will die being this miserable, self-condemned person. Somebody say Amen. But if, if you have the ability to do what Jesus did with sin, and that is leave it behind. Not that Jesus sinned. He leaves our sins behind. 
He forgives us. You've got to forgive yourself like Jesus forgave you, forgiving yourself, moving forward. And if Saul of Tarsus doesn't do this, we miss out as the body of Christ on the Apostle Paul. With the Apostle Paul comes the entire Gentile church, or you and me. With the Apostle Paul comes three-quarters of the New Testament books. Because one man said, this one thing I do. I cannot let my mistakes, I cannot let my sins, I cannot let my past define my destiny. Yes, it's my history. No, I don't deny it. No, I don't need to spin it. No, I don't need to hire a lawyer to get me out of it. I am guilty of it, but God is the one who forgives my guilt and cleanses me of shame. So this one thing I do, forgetting what Jesus told me to forget and grasping towards what Jesus is calling me towards is the one thing I do. Well, where, where do you learn mercy like that? How does a Pharisee whose life is all about judgment learn mercy like that? Well, maybe it was the entire early church because the entire early church had done something we don't like to talk about. I've never heard anybody preach a sermon on it, but the entire early church, 50 days before the day of Pentecost when they become 3,000 new believers, they were there when Jesus was being judged on, on Good Friday and they're yelling, crucify him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Let his blood be on us and on our children. How many of you guys know they are the mob calling for the execution of the Son of God? The entire early church. You want to talk about a group of people that should have condemned themselves, looked in the mirror and said, you don't deserve it. They were the ones who cried out in front of a Roman Gentile judge, kill him and release a murderer to us. We'd rather have a murderer in our midst than that rabbi from Galilee. Right? The only thing those 3,000 people had in common other than Jesus is they'd all cried for the execution of an innocent man. How do you think they felt when they heard Peter say something along the lines of, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. How many of you guys are having a bad day now if that's you? Where did Paul learn to forgive himself? Maybe from the entire early church that had to go through the same process. Isn't it interesting they said, brothers, what do, we, what do we do? I don't know how to explain this to God. I, don't, I can't blame it on the ringleaders or the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Romans. I'm, I screamed it. Yeah, I shouted Hosanna on Friday and crucify him. Or on Sunday, I said, try to crucify him the following Friday. I don't know how to reconcile that. But how many of you guys know that when God forgave him, Peter says this, repent and be baptized, all of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Isn't it interesting? Just... Stick with me for a second. Isn't it interesting that after the day of Pentecost where they repent and they're forgiven and they're baptized and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, it never comes up again. It never comes up again. 14 chapters later, but they're dealing with the post-traumatic stress of that day. No, they're not. 12 chapters later, there are people that are disqualified for ministry because they just can't get, no, they don't. When they received the mercy of God, how many of you guys know they sinned against Jesus and Jesus forgave them and they had no option left but to forgive themselves? Can I, say, can I suggest to you the same thing needs to happen today? Think about this. They forgave themselves because Jesus forgave them. Or where did they learn how to forgive themselves like that? Like who could have possibly led them there? What about Peter? Are you guys getting a trend here? Like just about everyone in the Bible has been through something really horrible. So in this, in this dynamic now, Peter... Jesus goes, the son of man is going to be betrayed, going to be handed over to Gentiles, going to be crucified. Peter goes, oh, uh-uh. Oh, no, you didn't. I'm not going to let it happen. Not on my watch. I'll, I'll live for you. I'll die for you. I'll, I'll die with you. But no way will I abandon you. Jesus looks at him and goes, Pete, 
before the sun comes up tomorrow when, when Jester, the, the rooster, starts crowing, you will have denied me already three times or even know me to kids, to girls. Peter goes, that's not true. Take it back. I said, I, I'm a man. I'm standing on my word. Never happened. Well, Jesus is arrested. He goes to the court where he's going to be judged. Peter is within distance that he can see him somewhere probably, you know, from where I can see you and you can see me. A servant girl walks in and goes, hey, you're a Galilean, aren't you? I, I, then I see you. I don't know. You made a terrible mistake, kid. I, I've never, I don't know the man. No, wait a minute. You've got a, you've got a Galilean accent. I, I'm absolutely sure of it. Like, I, I think I even saw you. No, I don't even know the guy. Leave me alone. Third guy walks up and goes, you are, the, you are one of his disciples. Man, leave me alone. I don't even know the guy. And this is what he says. Peter says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Can I suggest he looked straight through him? You ever been there? Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord that spoke to him. Before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and he just lost it. He just lost it. I don't know what that's like. I mean, to deny the Lord and kind of get grips of it later on, it wasn't that. It was right now. Not even know the man. He opens his eyes and Jesus is looking at him. And the rooster's crowing. Maybe, maybe it's from Peter that the early church learned to forgive themselves. On the day of Pentecost, there was not a judgmental person that had never failed that was preaching that gospel to them. It was a man well aware of human weakness and what it was like to get beyond those things. You know, in order to restore Peter, when Jesus is resurrected, he goes, tell the disciples and Peter. Now, some people say, well, that means Peter was no longer a disciple. Maybe. I think what it means is Peter needed a different level of being told. I think that Jesus resurrected from the dead was probably good news to 10 of the 12. One was dead because he committed suicide in Judas. And, and one just, I just forfeited anything. I, I promised him. I swore to him. And then I just totally pantsed him in front of, I tuniced him in front of everybody. I can't, I just, I don't deserve anything but his judgment. You guys still here? Peter denies Jesus three times at a fire. Look what Jesus does. He builds a fire. Peter's been fishing all night. Jesus gives him a good catch of fish. How many guys, how many fishermen know when God wants to bless you or talk to you, he gives you a good catch of fish? That's because there were no deer in Palestine otherwise, totally. He just, he just gave you like a 90-point buck, nearsighted, stupid, blind, deaf, the kind that I need to shoot, the kind that walks in front of my stand, grabs his chest and falls down, and I can say, I got him. Right? Elizabeth. That was a... Fred Sanford, never mind, it's just you too. Man, guys, if Peter doesn't forgive himself, if the church doesn't forgive themselves, if Paul doesn't forgive himself, we are robbed of everything we know that is now today the church of Jesus Christ. Do you see this? This, this is not some passive thing. You say, well, that's them, I'm me. No, no, they would have said the same thing. I, I used to be, but I'm not anymore because, I, well, I used to be fair, but now I just lost. I, I mean, I, I was just a good Jewish guy that went to, but then when I was screaming, crucify him with his mob, and a, a spittle coming out the corner. The next thing I know, it's, man, I crucified an innocent person who happens to be God's son sent to be a, a messenger of love to this planet, and I screamed for his execution. If they don't get past this, the world is a different place. Hear me. If you don't get past this, the world is a different place. I'm not in the book of Acts. Sure you are. Chapter 29. The book of Acts doesn't end with, and that's the end. It goes on. We are, it ends at 28 chapters, but God's still writing. He's writing it with your lives. Where did Peter learn to forgive himself like that? Well, let's, what if it was the teachings of Jesus? 
Because the teachings of Jesus teach us that we should forgive ourselves. Come on, somebody say amen. So the, the prodigal son, well, Luke chapter 15, the guy's got two kids. One's the older one working hard. One's the younger one. He's probably the funny one because the younger ones are always the funny ones. That's how they keep from getting beat up by the older ones. They make them laugh. Self-deprecating humor. And so they, they end up, he goes, give me my inheritance. He splits. He takes everything his father and his brother and he has worked so hard for. He takes it all. He squanders it. A famine hits the land. He's starving to death and he makes this decision. I'm going to go back. But I'm not going to go back as a son. Hear me. I'm not going to go back as a son. I'm going to go back as a slave. And you say, no, the word there is servant. Read the word servant. We, we've we've kind of, in some ways, because slavery has a connotation, we think of American slavery, European slavery. They, there was slavery in the Bible, and yes, they were owned by people. It wasn't, it wasn't the same thing, so we kind of changed the language so it, we don't get this vision of chains and cotton fields. And, but, but at the same time, I guess, no, it was no honor to be a, a slave. Right? So, I mean, some slaves, they, they love their master. They get their ear pierced through the doorpost. And they would stay for life even after the debt was paid. But, but I, how many guys know the human soul wants freedom? We want, we want to choose our own way. And so in this, they, they say, you know, he, I'll go back and I'll fall before my father, an emaciated, filthy, naked kid that used to be worthy of being his son because of his love. But I've done so many things wrong. There's no way that I could be loved anymore by a man like my dad. So I'm just going to come to him. I'm going to beg him. Just make me your slave because I'm starving. I don't, I don't expect your love. I don't expect your goodness. I don't expect your kindness, but please just have mercy on me. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Everything he just said is true. Nothing, none of that's like self-condemning. It's all true. He sinned against heaven. He sinned against his father. And he was no longer worthy to be called his son. When he assessed who he was and where he was, he did it accurately. How many guys, just say the word with me. It's true. But his father chose to see something his son didn't. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this, what? The slave? The servant? What is it? The son of mine was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The prodigal son said, what I've done is who I am. And that's true. The father said, who I see you is who you are. And I can see you any way I choose to see you. And I don't see a slave when I look at you. And I don't see a wayward son. I don't see a son that needs to go live in the barn as a slave for a year until he earns the right to come and be a house slave so that a house slave I can be around him and maybe in the next 20 years before I die, I'll extend some grace to him. Understand this. When he gave him the robe, he was covering something that he didn't want anybody else to see. When he put sandals on his feet, he was separating him from something that had touched him far too long. And we put a ring on his finger. That ring's not a piece of jewelry. It's, it's the credit card. It's the debit card of the family. It's the signet ring. He can buy anything, go to the market, and in the name of his father, with that ring sticked in wax and that scroll and that seal, it's, it's now the father's responsible for what he buys, what he sells. He is a full-fledged member of the household once again. The father didn't put him on probation. He forgave him. What the son said about himself was true, but what God said about his son was more true. Did you get that? I feel like I'm, it's quiet again, and it's driving me nuts. 
What, the, what he said about himself was true. But what the Father said about him was more true. Hear me. Whatever you've done, it is not more powerful than what God has done for you. And whoever you think you are, I, in a condemning way, I promise you, God so loved you that he died for you because you're his kid. And he did die for you. And he defeated them. I got three and a half minutes left. Would you do me the honor? Would you just stand? Nobody leave. We're not done. How many of you guys know it's good when the pastor asks you to stand? Because it means we're almost finished. Most sinners feel that way. Listen to me, please. Please listen to me. To disagree with God's mercy is to agree with Satan's condemnation. Yeah, but no, 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 no but. Get your butt out of there. That's really dangerous stuff that keeps you from your destiny, that causes you to hate who you are and to love who you are, that, that causes you not to ask, not to expect, not to seek, not to knock, because you don't deserve anything, but you're just hoping for an eventual mercy. You're hoping to get better someday so that when someday comes, you'll be good enough to begin to ask for something, but today's not that day. When you see what you've done and that's all you see, you're not seeing what he's done. But what he's done is more important, more prominent, and more powerful than what you've done. If it's not, none of us have any hope. If it is, none of us can be hopeless. You might have walked in here a hopeless dope fiend, but you can walk out of here a dopeless hope fiend because, because God knows you, and he's not calling you a hopeless dope fiend. He's not calling you the one that broke up the marriage. He's not calling you the one that destroyed the business. He's not calling you the pornographer, the adulterer. He's not calling you the addict. He's not, what, what, he's not calling you the angry man. He's not calling you the murderer, the liar, the one who, who... Not by what you've done. And until we agree with what he says about us, that more true statement will live in something that's true but inferior to the truth. There is a truth greater than truth. His name is Jesus. And he didn't die so you could squeak in. He died so you could have life and have it to the full. This truth has to be accepted. Guys, these are some of the greatest stories of some of the greatest people in human history. Saul becomes Paul because he learned to forgive himself from the early church. Isn't that awesome? The early church became the book of Acts church we all want to grow up to be because they learned to forgive themselves from Peter. Peter became the apostle Peter because he learned to focus. I'm sorry, learned to forgive himself from the teasing of Jesus. You want to know what my favorite story is? It's when you become you because you learn how to forgive yourself from some of the greatest people in human history who once stood where you are standing right now. Would you close your eyes, please? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and expose to us areas that believe things that are true but not ultimately the most true where we've been what we've done what we've said who we've hurt every sin we admit we confess but right next to that if we'll put that thought on trial for a moment with this thought what can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus can angels or demons can principalities or powers can things in the past or things in the present can height their depth spiritual force. Again, anything separate us. Paul says, I am convinced that nothing shall separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. For us to ask for your forgiveness and yet not extend the same grace you give us to ourselves is, is to be half forgiven, half anointed. 
half, I, I, anything you give us, it's, it's fractionalized by a self-limiting doubt that you're good enough for both of us. God, remove from us the curse. Remove from us the lies. Remove from us condemnation. In the name of Jesus, we stand right before a holy God. Your scriptures say we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your scriptures tell us that therefore now there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It's impossible because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. If you're here today, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Last week we talked about forgiving others that have harmed us and you took courageous steps. Today, could I ask you to take another one, an equally important step. I don't know that this one will keep you from heaven like the other one did, but this will keep you from bringing heaven to earth. Let me say that again. I don't know that this one will keep you from heaven. Not forgiving your enemies, Matthew chapter 6, 12, 6, 14, Matthew chapter 18, very clear. You don't forgive, that's unforgivable. It's an unforgivable sin. It's an unforgiven sin to hold unforgiveness against others. 10,000 lifetimes forgiven in a single moment of mercy, and we, we hold other people's sins against them. Like I, it's, un, it's inexcusable. It's very clear in Scripture. I don't know that this is that. I don't know this will keep you from heaven, but I do know this will keep you from bringing heaven to earth because we'll only ask, like we'll only allow ourselves to be loved to the level we believe we're worthy of love. And some of you are keeping yourself from the love of God because you find yourself unworthy. But what shall separate you from the love of God? God so loved the world before you ever turned to him enough to die for you. What will he do now that he has died for you and defeated death, hell, and the grave? Right here, right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Jim, I got to forgive somebody today. I got to forgive me. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Step of faith and action. Your mark and set, go. I got to forgive me. It's time to leave it behind me. It's time to nail that to the cross. It's time to leave that in the grave. It's time to leave that in a baptismal tank. It's time for that to be behind me, not in front of me. David said, my sin is ever before me. Psalms 51, but later on he said, wash me and I'll be as white as snow. He was crying out, God, you got to help me through this. And God helped him through it. God helped Moses through it. God helped David through it. God helped, you know, the early church and, and uh, Peter and Paul and now you through it. This one thing is in front of you, forgetting what's behind, straining, pressing, reaching towards what is ahead. Do them both. This day forward, I am not what I've done. I am what he has done for me, and I will not live under the thumb of condemnation any longer. In Jesus' name, tell him that right now. I'm free because you say I'm free. I'm loved because you say I'm loved. I'm forgiven because you say I'm forgiven. I will not hold the sins against me that my God has forgiven me of. I will not stand opposed to and in disagreement with my God. If you forgive me, I forgive me. You didn't make a mistake when you chose mercy towards me, and I won't make a mistake when I extend your mercy towards me as well. Father, seal it in our hearts. Forgetting what's behind, we press. Forgetting what's behind, we strain. Forgetting what's behind, we reach. This one thing we do. Amen. Open your eyes, look right here if you would. Altar workers are going to come forward. And the reason for this altar ministry, it's, it's a purposeful thing. It's not an accidental thing. It's not a, it's not a formal thing. It's, it's a big thing. They literally are here for the purpose of praying with you. Now, you might need nothing to do with the sermon today, or you might need someone to talk to about the sermon today. You might not need what we talked about. You might need a job. You might need 
help. Maybe you know somebody that needs healing. Maybe you got a question about the Bible. But these people I trust. If I had a question, if I need a prayer, many of them, if not all of them, have prayed for me. I go to them. Like sometimes I don't make it to the back. I, I just stop and say, hey, Pastor Pat, you know, Linda, would you pray for me or whatever. So this morning, if you need something, just because the service is ending doesn't mean God's done doing what he wants to do. How many of you guys are free here today? You're free. Next week, we're going to celebrate our freedom. Um, the sun rises. We're going to be singing some great old hymn about a God who defeated death, hell, and the grave for us. So I love you guys. Let me just pray for you as you go today. Father, I pray that you would bless your people, that you would keep them, that you make your face to shine on them, that you give them great peace, that you give them joy in their hearts, God. Set us free and keep us free. Help us be people that take our stories and with our stories, help other people find their way to freedom as well. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Live long and prosper. You need prayer, go forward. Guest room's waiting for you. Or go grab your kids.